Good morning, friends. Thank you again for tuning in to The Digital Gathering. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. Great to be back together after a week off. We're back to live gatherings this month at uh, Bet Havram, and then of course our digital gatherings here on YouTube. Either way, uh, we are so glad that you are with us, and it's great to have your presence Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to the Digital Gathering. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here for Discovery. Great to be back together after a week off. Back to live gatherings at Bet Havram this month, and then, of course, our ongoing digital gatherings here on our YouTube channel. We're so glad to have you with us. Now, last Sunday was not really off. We did not have any versions of these worship gatherings, but we were still together as we served our first ever Serve Sunday. It was so awesome to watch that come together and to see how so many of you were able to participate in a bunch of different projects. So we got some stuff done, but also it was just great to see the, again, the engagement and the creativity that went into last week. Some of our groups created their own projects. Some people went and cleaned up the high school. Others put stuff together for co-workers. Uh, one group even was able to get coffee and bagels donated, and then they passed them out to our friends and neighbors who do not have permanent housing. And this to me is so encouraging. This is the goal, to develop our holy imaginations so that outreach moves from programs to practice. Programs are good and helpful, and, and we do them, and we will use them often, but the goal is to move from just a, a programmatic thing that the, that the church does to where this becomes a practice, a rhythm, a, just a normal part of our life, who we are individually and communally as a church. And here's one more thing. Well, what we do is important and good, so is how we do it. It's not just, again, about the program or the practice. It's also about our posture as we reach out. This past week, in fact, the day after Serve Sunday, our street team received an email from the community garden. That's one of the projects we did, helping them out uh, get some stuff uh, cleaned up and taken care of there. They, they sent our team an email to communicate, A, just that they were very appreciative of the work that we did, but also, and I think more importantly, they named how fun it was to work with our group and how positive the attitude of that team was. That's posture. That's such great feedback to receive. I'm so proud of you guys for what you did there, but also all the other projects that were a part of this past week. Thank you for doing this together, for doing this with us. We are going to continue to do Serve Sundays as we move uh, into the future together. But there's also going to be just so many other ways to continue serving. And so this is where I want to end kind of this opening bit. It's just with an encouragement and a challenge. Keep leaning into this practice. Outreach, serving, it is a muscle that must be continually worked out. And so whether that's helping do set up and tear down at a gathering, whether that's reaching out to your neighbors, whether that's volunteering with one of our local partners, praying for people in your community, 
It, even if it's just scrubbing the toilets in your home, the list of possibilities is endless, but the invitation is to stay with it, to press in, keep exercising this muscle because we become more and more like Jesus. We are transformed into his likeness, as it says in the scriptures, when we serve. When we serve, when we roll up our sleeves, when we grab that servant's towel and wash people's feet, as we learned about a couple of weeks ago, as we serve, we become more and more like Jesus. So keep practicing this discovery. You guys are doing so great. Keep it up. Now, let's pause here for a moment and pray uh, before we get into today's conversation. So just take your hands wherever you are right now, just hold them out open like this as we assume this posture of receiving. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful for the, the little bit that we were able to do last Sunday, for these small ways in which we get to have a front row seat to see your kingdom breaking through here in Davis as it is in heaven. Thank you for the gift of being able to be a part of that together. Now, God, we do open our hands to both let go of whatever it is that we bring into this time this morning, worries, fears, joys, anxieties, all the stuff that we carry, we let go of it so that we can receive from you. Whatever it is that you want to say to us, challenge us with this morning, God, we are open to that. We also, Father, pause here to pray for this coming week in our country. There is an election happening on Tuesday. There are all sorts of feelings and anxieties and concerns about the outcome uh, of this election, about the reality that we may not know the outcome of this election on Tuesday. God, we desperately pray and contend for peace to reign in this country, for people to be safe and protected, for uh, the process to be as equitable and just as possible, God, and for there to be a, a clear outcome in the near future. God, we pray for our country. Uh, we have a long way to go to be a reflection of your kingdom and your shalom. God, would you help us here in Davis in our own small way to point people towards the good news of Jesus, the beauty of your kingdom, and the reality of your shalom. These things can be so hard to see in the craziness of our world, God. Help us to be a living example of those things for people who need to see it, who need good news in a crazy time, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Micah chapter 6. If you have your physical Bible, it's a little bit past the halfway mark there. It's in the Old Testament. It's called a prophetic book. We're just looking at one verse this morning, but we're going to be all over the scripture as we make our way through this conversation. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? All of us, no matter our station in life, every single one of us has had the experience of being overlooked, 
unheard or unseen. Maybe it was a teacher who ignored a bully in your class. Maybe it was a parent that favored a sibling. Maybe it was a boss who abused their position of power. We've all felt that hurt, that anger. For some of us, this is a deep, deep, very personal wound that comes from experiencing systemic oppression, systemic racism or sexism. Whatever our lived experience, though, there is this thing in us, in every single one of us, this feeling in our guts that rises up screaming out, that's not fair, right? That's not right. This is fundamental to the human experience in a sinful world. I think it's one of the ways that we can know that we live in a moral universe, that we live in a universe that has purpose and meaning, that we live in a God-created and God-ordered universe that has been marred by sin. Injustice is bad news. It is a constant reminder of our broken, sinful world. But the good news is that there is justice. The God we know and worship is just. This God will hear the cries of the oppressed and the orphans. He will judge in their favor so that mortal men may cause terror no more. Now today we pick back up our kind of big conversation this fall. This conversation is called counterculture. We are remembering our calling as Jesus fathers, not just individually, but communally. This calling to be different. We are different because we follow Jesus, because our King is Jesus. We are set apart for a purpose, and that purpose is to point people towards the good news of Jesus, the freedom, the love, the grace, the justice, the life that we have because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The good news story takes us out of the ways of the world and sets us into a whole different place, a whole new story. Now, there's a lot of examples of this, and I think the first Christians are one of the best examples that we have. The, the, early Christians, these first Jesus followers who were figuring out what it meant to be the church, were very much a part of their Jewish and Roman context, and yet were very countercultural in many ways. They were countercultural in how inclusive they were. They were countercultural in how they used their resources. They were countercultural in how they preserved and upheld the dignity of the human body. They were practicing this new reality called resurrection. Practicing the resurrection, living differently from the patterns and the norms of the culture around them. Historian Rodney Stark says it this way, the Romans were stingy with their resources and generous with their bodies. The early Christians were stingy with their bodies and generous with their resources. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider the generous with their resources part of that statement. And we're going to do that through the lens of this passage, this one verse in the book of Micah, looking at these big words, justice, mercy, and humility. 
generous with their resources. Now this word generous, generosity, we use it a lot here at Discovery and it's, it can mean a lot of different things for us, right? It can mean everything from uh, our financial partnership with the mission, what's sometimes called tithing or offerings. It, it can mean uh, or it can refer to how we use our time and talents to participate in bringing God's kingdom here to Davis and around the world. It can mean a lot of different things, but this generous posture, the reason we use this word so much is because this generous posture is normal, should be normal for Jesus communities. Those first Christians shared everything and they were extremely generous towards one another and also towards the poor in their community. This in particular was dramatically countercultural to Roman thinking, to Jewish practice, because the dominant cultural narrative was that the poor must have done something to deserve their lot in life. They blew it. They sinned in some way to be in that particular station. But the radical grace, the radical grace experienced by the church through Jesus was not just about getting into heaven or, or getting out of this world and all of its madness. It was uh, about, uh, again, counterculturally changing the fabric of the world in which they live. It had very real implications on their daily lives. And so they did not hold tightly to their money, to their stuff, to their time. They shared it. They shared all of it. And in doing this, in doing this, it, it, it caused them to stand out. It, it definitionally made them countercultural. It upended the normal working of things. And it started to rearrange the economics of the system that they were a part of. Think about that. One of the reasons the Roman Empire comes to an end is because of the ways that the early church upended the economic system of this empire. That is incredible. Now, these ways, in the ways that they shared their resources, the early church embodied the values of the kingdom of God and provided a picture, a vision of shalom. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about this over the past couple of years as a church. We might say it this way. Okay, the early Christians, they were an example, a living, breathing example of a just community. Now, this takes us into interesting territory because the question of justice is a very prevalent question in our cultural moment, right? What is justice? Who gets to decide what justice is? is are, when we talk about this, are we talking about my justice or your justice? How can we be countercultural in pointing towards God's justice in this extremely contentious moment in which we live? Now, we do not have the time and space to provide a comprehensive answer to those questions this morning. So what I hope to do here is give us a framework to, to help us in our thinking and conversation about this huge loaded word, this word justice. So very briefly, let's look at what scripture says about justice and some ways in which maybe there's 
comparison and contrast to justice movements in our world today. Now, the biblical vision for a just society is one where all of life, all of life flourishes through alignment with God's intention for his creation. The biblical vision for a just society is one in which all of life flourishes through alignment with God's intention for his creation. Again, this is what the writers of scripture call shalom, right relationship in multiple directions, where we live in right relationship with God, with each other, other human beings, and with creation. Now, there are a variety of movements in our world today that point us towards these elements of shalom. When we see, when we see movements that call for greater equality, freedom, fairness, justice, we can affirm that as Jesus followers. We can affirm that as Jesus followers because there are overlaps between shalom, God's justice, and justice movements. Again, things that point us towards greater equality, freedom, fairness. And that overlap, again, it comes from this deep desire in all of us for justice, for fairness, to be treated with dignity and respect, that anger and frustration. The pain that we feel when we experience injustice, when we see injustice playing itself out in our world, it all comes from this God who created us in His image. Now, there are also some important distinctives. Okay, there's overlap, but it's not completely overlapping. Some justice movements within our culture, within the church even, paint an incomplete picture. Sometimes, uh, we see creation elevated over humanity. Certainly, we see different human groupings get elevated over others. Oftentimes, God is completely left out of the equation. That is not the fullness of shalom. But having said that, having said that, here's what I find to be most troubling and deeply heartbreaking. There are some Christian Traditions, there are some voices within the church that speak poorly of or even work directly against justice movements. Voices that create a false dichotomy between what's sometimes called the gospel and justice, as if these are two different things opposing forces. The Bible reveals over and over again there is no dichotomy. The problem with Cultural justice movements, to use that term, I guess, is not that they are opposed to the gospel. The problem is that they don't paint the full picture. They don't lead to the fullness of shalom. And so here's the mess, right? Here, here's where we have really dropped the ball as the church. Jesus' followers should be at the forefront of this conversation, not the ones fighting against it. Are you with me? As Jesus followers, we should be at the forefront of this conversation. We should be known for fighting injustice, promoting shalom, caring for creation more than any other movement of people in our world. We have really, really blown our countercultural witness by labeling justice as an enemy. Now, a couple of sort of side notes here 
uh, for just a moment. Again, there's going to be an election coming up on Tuesday. And uh, I know many of you have already voted and taken care of that, and that's wonderful. There's going to be an outcome at some point, hopefully sooner than later. There's going to be some people who are deeply upset and some people who are extremely happy. And the reality is that whatever the outcome on Tuesday, the vision for our country and what justice in our country looks like is going to fall very short of God's vision for justice and shalom. And so whatever the outcome is, there is still this huge, huge calling and invitation on the church to point people towards the good news of Jesus and the justice that God brings through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Are you with me? We don't need an election to do that. Now, I do believe that there are better and, and good outcomes that we can hope and pray for. But whatever the outcome is on Tuesday night, it does not mean that our job is over. In fact, it probably means that our job is just beginning. Are you with me? Now, if you want to do um, some further reading and exploring of this topic, uh, I just want to pause here for a moment and, and give you a couple of recommendations. Tim Keller just published this, this year, over the last couple of months, an extensive series of essays on biblical justice. They're very good. They're almost book length um, when you add them all up, but they're very good. I would highly recommend them. Even more than that, I would also recommend a couple of books. There's a book called The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper, another book called With Justice for All by John Perkins, and then another book called The Next Evangelicalism by Sung Chan Ra. All three of those books, outstanding resources in helping us understand biblical justice and our calling as a church to promote God's shalom here in our world. Now, I want to paint for us the picture of justice that we see in Scripture. And again, I'm just scratching the surface here, so bear with me as we do this. First, Scripture teaches us the goodness of God's creation. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but especially chapter 1, right, tells us that this creation that God makes is good. It's good, it's good, it's very good. Why do we care about our world and what happens here? We care about it because God made it and he declared it to be good. Second, scripture teaches us that humans have an important role to play in taking care of this good creation. Third, scripture teaches the inherent dignity of all human beings. We are all made in God's image and have inherent dignity because of that truth. Fourth, scripture teaches that sin creates both individual and systemic imbalances. Sin tears apart that web of right relationships. It twists and warps the shalom of God's creation. And again, there's individual parts of this where, where we struggle with different things in our own lives, but there are also systemic, cultural, broad implications of this. In the New Testament, the writer Paul talks about powers and principalities. There are forces at work in our world that are sinful, that are not a reflection of God's shalom. And so we need to name those things. We need to work against those things where we can. And we need to own our participation in those things and repent of those things. Fifth, Scripture teaches that these imbalances, these violations, these injustices need correcting. All right, should be corrected. And there's all sorts of ways and places where we see this. 
We, we see it in the laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Laws that are about redistributing stuff so that some people don't have too much and others don't have enough. We see this in what is sometimes called the quadrilateral focus of the Old Testament. Widows, orphans, the poor, and foreigners are spoken about a lot as groups that need special protection and care. We see the prophetic call to care for those in need. A huge chunk of our Bible are prophetic books, a lot of which speak to this issue of justice. We see this, of course, in the example and teaching of Jesus, his vision for the kingdom of God rooted in God's justice and shalom. We see this in the practical wisdom of a New Testament book like the book of James. And of course, we see this in the vision of the future painted for us in the book of Revelation. Scripture speaks to this correction of imbalances as much as it speaks to just about any other issue. Why? Because sixth, Scripture teaches that God is just. Justice is not about us getting what we want or what we think we deserve. It is about living in deep alignment with who God is. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And then finally, seventh, Scripture teaches that the end game is justice. The story ends with everything put back together, finally and totally, every wrong righted, all things made new. Back to the way that God always intended them to be. Now the phrase we read earlier in Micah 6.8 is, is to act justly or to do justice, depending on your translation. So I want to end with this question. What does it mean then to do justice? If this is who God is and so close to his heart, what do we actually do in response to this? Well, again, the, the list here could be lengthy and almost endless, but I want to begin with the big picture. We have to examine our relationships. Are we in right relationship with God? Right relationship with others? Right rela relationship with our world? Are we rejecting God, neglecting others, exploiting the creation? Justice begins with right relationship with God. And so have you accepted his grace and forgiveness? Have you accepted this gift, this invitation to an adventure of life with him in his kingdom? Then beyond that, doing justice clearly involves examining our relationships with others. In a couple of weeks, we are going to host a racial reconciliation workshop in our country it is impossible to do justice without examining our baggage with race. Naming and repenting of racism both individually but also communally. And to do this, we need good biblical ways to have this conversation, to talk about this. And so I, I'm really encouraged by the progress that we've made here at Discovery. We did an anti-racism curriculum this summer. Several of our discovery groups tackled this conversation over the summer as well. And so on November 16th, which is a Monday night, we're going to keep pressing into this together. I'm really looking forward to that. One other thing I would mention here in, in this uh, examining our relationships piece, 
A big conversation here locally, and I think local is so important in this because we can get distracted, I think, by some of the big things that are going on in our world and forget what's going on right outside our front door. But a big conversation in Davis recently has been around how to care for our neighbors without homes. Quite frankly, a lot of this conversation has been appalling. We've seen letters in our paper calling for us to put people on a bus and send them to other cities. We've seen a lot of not in my backyard kind of thinking. I think a very practical way for us discovery to be countercultural and to do justice in this place is to help change the conversation around this issue. To value our friends without homes as, as neighbors and to help seek good solutions. And we talked about this in, in, in conjunction with Serve Sunday, but the Interfaith Rotating Winter Shelter is doing some really interesting things right now. And, and actually things that might be more helpful than even what we've done in the past with opening buildings and allowing people to spend the night there. But this uh, apartment project, getting people into apartments for the winter and potentially transitioning them into more permanent housing solutions is a beautiful story. And so there's opportunities for us to participate in that, to help furnish those apartments. And I say, let's do it. Let's, let's do this and be a part of, again, changing the conversation in our community. Finally, doing justice involves examining our relationship with creation. Creation care, friends, is not just about composting, all right? This involves everything from how we spend our money to where we buy our food to how we use our resources, how we steward the things that God has entrusted to us. Now, all of this is just the baseline. There's so much more that we can say and do. I hope you're able to explore some of that in groups this week. Again, we've given you some other resources to check out as well. But I want to close our time today with two challenges or invitations. Two things that I think are really helpful in this call to do justice, to act justly. One invitation is this. I, I think we need to have justice heroes. People who can put some flesh and blood to this huge task. I have a whole bunch of heroes. I think of people like Brian Stevenson, uh, who wrote the book Just Mercy. I think about my friend Nate Milheim in East Oakland. I think uh, locally here about our very own Jan Murray Garcia. Okay, Jan has had the opportunity to, to move into larger platforms, um, to use her influence in lots of different ways, but she's been a community activist here in Davis for decades, and she has been rooted locally here in order to push our city to become more diverse, inclusive, and fair. My challenge to you is to get a hero, okay? Someone who inspires you and who points the way, who you can sit down and, and have a cup of coffee with, and find out more about how to do this. We need embodied examples, not just Instagram stories. And then the second thing I would say, again, as an invitation and an encouragement, is to remember our place in the story. Doing justice is a long work. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. Now, we love that quote because of the bend towards justice part of it, but I think we struggle with the long part of it. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people get really fired up about something or some things, uh, go to a protest, post a bunch of stuff on social media, but then it fizzles out because this is a long work. This is a long 
obedience. So one, one suggestion here. When I was a college student, the campus ministry that I was a part of, uh, some of us went and we studied the book of Amos, another one of these Old Testament prophets for the whole week. We were just in this book. And, and Amos is just, I mean, it just gets right into God's heart for justice. And so at the end of that week, man, I was all fired up. I wanted to start organizations and plant churches and do all kinds of stuff. I had so much energy. And that energy is great. But my campus minister who was leading that week pulled me aside and said, Steve, the, uh, again, love your energy, but here's a suggestion. Just pick one thing. Pick one thing every year to focus on, to research, to promote, to give towards, whatever it is. Pick one thing every year, and over the course of 10 years, you will make a significant impact. Whereas if you try to do 10 things in one year, you're not going to get very much done. So my question for us is, what's that one thing? What's the one thing that you need to do to do justice? To move towards this vision of shalom, God's kingdom of right relationships. What's the one thing that you need to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a huge, huge topic with so many implications. And it can be a little bit overwhelming to know where to begin and, and how to get started. God, I, I'm grateful that we're a part of a community where many people are, are well into this have been working towards justice, have been learning about things, advocating for things for a while, but we all can grow in this call to act more justly. And so, Father, would you make it clear to us what the one thing is? What, what do we need to be focused on right now for this time, for this season, for the next couple of months, the next year, whatever it might be? What's the one thing that we can do to point towards shalom, to make your kingdom a little bit more real in this place, in Davis as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.